Welcome to the Safety Doc Podcast with author, radio host, and nationally recognized safety expert, Dr. David Perodin. Join us each week as we discuss the best and most bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. Follow Dr. Perodin on Twitter at SafetyPhD. And remember, the truth will keep you safe. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Hey everybody, it is your good friend. Oh my goodness, I heard an echo. There's more of me in here. Um, I am Dr. David Proden, and you are watching the Safety Doc Podcast. I am live down here in the North Star Recording Studio, where it is a brisk 55 degrees right now. Hasn't warmed up yet here in Wisconsin. So we're going to allow a minute uh, to have people get into the show. Um, I'll go over the format, and I'll cover what we're going to address today, which is huge. It's school funding that has a significant change to it, um, how it impacts school safety. We're going to see some tremendous, almost um, draconian cuts to school funding uh, for this upcoming year. I want to bring you up to speed on those. Um, I'm a retired school administrator, so I'm going to give you the inside perspective. So um, let us get started. What I have in front of me, just so you understand the operation that I'm working with down here in the studio, to my left, I have a screen with my notes for this show. In front of me is just me. And over to the right um, is open web page. So if you see me kind of looking in different directions, that's what's going on. Uh, please share this with your friends. If you um, feel compelled, give a thumbs up to the doc. Give a thumbs up to the show. We've gained a lot of followers here just in the last few weeks. So if you can go up and hit that subscribe button, I would appreciate it. Also, a thumbs up. Hey, someone's already done that. I appreciate that. And Cameron, welcome, my good friend. Thanks for coming back. How am I doing? Um, I am doing well. So, few things. Um, we are well. As a family, we are doing well. Uh, people are healthy. We're staying connected, which is important. I just got off the uh, off a Zoom meeting tonight with one of my friends in Santa Barbara for face validity, right? Do your face validity check. What is happening around you? What is happening with your friends and family? They get out in the community. They can they'll observe what's happening and authentically tell you, this is what I'm seeing at parks, hospital, grocery store, armory, whatever. So that's so important. I've continued to build out that network. Many of you are part of that. And I thank you very much for helping me to be very informed for school and community safety. So yeah, I'm doing well. Families doing well. Um, a few things I've noticed, face validity check in here, more thinning of the shelves, um, which means products are getting faced or moved to the front. So again, if you're looking in back of that can of soup or rice or whatever it is, there, there might not be anything in back when otherwise there were like four in back and like a whole box on the top and stuff like that. So, um, so yeah, um, there's no plexiglass barriers yet at our Walmart. Haven't seen those, but they are marking off spots on the floor, stand here and the next person stand like, you know, six feet away and six feet away. So that's happening. Um, I haven't, heard of anybody that I personally know who has tested positive for the coronavirus. So I haven't, haven't heard of that. Um, again, for anybody that I know. Um, some schools have, have adapted to virtual education. 
very connected with school administrators across the country, and and some have jumped into it. They're, they've, they've got it up and running. They've given permission to their teachers to experiment, try new things, and others are really spinning their wheels, just hoping we'll come back to this self-similarity of what we, what we knew, what was life like a month ago before all of this happened. And for those folks, it's going to be really hard because I don't see any of this changing um, in the near term. I don't think um, where schools have been closed, I don't think those will reopen again until at least the fall. Um, a couple other things, PBS Wisconsin, the public television channel here in Wisconsin, they changed their afternoon programming. So now on PBS, um, which is really pretty cool, they, they do lessons. So it might be a fourth grade through sixth grade science lesson at two o'clock, and then there's some literature thing and whatever, but they really got on this fast. And Years ago, I remember um, my my grandparents talking about how they lived up in rural Wisconsin and they would receive instruction over the radio. So you tune in at a certain time and someone would, would give like a math lesson or art or whatever it would be like over the, over the radio, right? So that's the way that it used to be. Um, and also I've noticed, I, I posted this today in Twitter, Bellevue, Washington has a web page up on now on their government site. And you can go to that page and report social distance violations. And it's you actually can take a Google map, drag from the Google map into address, and it'll automatically put the address of the location in there. And then you write down a description of what happened, and you can attach photos. So that is something I'd seen a couple days ago in a few counties, but it's it's new. It's, it's getting to be more popular. Um, I'm, I have questions about that, right? If you have a website where you can report large gatherings, um, first of all, I think a few things. One is we don't have large gatherings outside of like beaches and things like that. People have pretty much got the message. They're following the directives. We're not having these large gatherings. The other part is you can submit a photo or photos to prove that there was this large gathering. To me, that's, I mean, does that then become a public record because it's submitted to a public website? Um, how exactly would that works. So I, I I don't know. And does this does this encourage people to go out in their car and drive around and look for groups of people that then they can report? If the police get the call, are they going to dispatch a squad car to go and check this out when we know that the police force is already depleted because some are in self-quarantine and, and we just have other more pressing issues. So I, I don't like the feel of that. It's something um, though that I, I've observed, you know, in the county adjacent to where I'm at, and I saw this again. I posted it on Twitter today. So, Tyler, hello and welcome to uh, to this live stream tonight. Um, so let's let's go over what what we're going to talk about tonight. Well, first of all, schools. Okay, K twelve schools, also university, but we're going to focus on K twelve. K twelve schools are bracing for a twenty percent funding slash. That is huge funding slash of 20%, if not more in some places. And this could be perpetual, right? This might not rebound. Uh, so we're going to talk about what it looks like, first of all, to fund a school, how that happens. I've actually put together a whiteboard drawing of that, and we're going to do some live stuff to go over um, just so you understand basically how schools are funded. And it's not going to be real intense academic, but just, you know, we know the, the main funding streams and how this is going to get affected when we have fewer taxes and businesses shutting down. And then what is likely to be funded in a school? What's going to remain? What actually might grow in funding? What might get more funding? 
And then also what will be cut? What's going to be gone? And of course, we have to address this from a school safety perspective. School safety, a $3 billion industry, which will be dramatically altered by this. And the definition of school safety will change. It has already changed. Um, it's no longer our bollards and barricades and window films and stuff like that. It's going to be much different. So we're going to get into all of that. So let's let's go down um, just a few housekeeping things again. If you can subscribe to the channel, if you're already not doing so, I would appreciate that. Um, also, a thumbs up for the show. I would appreciate on Twitter. I'm at SafetyPhD. And my website is safetyphd.com. I'm not going to try to sell you anything, but I have 125 episodes uh, that can be linked out from there, including blog posts and my book, School of Airs, Rethinking School Safety in America. It's much more than school safety. The first chapter is how thinking about a bagel can get you through the worst day of your life, a chapter on transitioning into chaos, looking at a lot of different disasters from tornadoes, Joplin, Missouri, tornado 2011 to 9-11 and things like that. Um, really practical right now as we've kind of gone from our bagel, our, our self-similarity out here into a crazy state of chaos. So I'm going to back up a little bit and let's do um, analysis of how schools are funded. I'm going to keep this very basic. As you can tell by my drawing. All right. Let's take a looky here. Um, basically, this is how schools get funded. Okay. The feds kick in about 10%. The state kicks in about 50%. 40% comes local. That's your taxes and businesses. Medicaid, gifts to the school, things like that. That's a small amount that goes in there. Now, another number we have to kind of keep in mind as we go through this, we're not going to spend a lot of, lot of time on, on this, but uh, okay, so $12,000. So just think that on average, every student generates in revenue for the school, $12,000. So 10 students, that'd be $120,000 and so forth. But this is basically how this formula kind of works. So we can just look at this right away. And we know that we've been hit from a Fed standpoint, from a state and especially local. I'm going to walk you through all these processes. Look, this was the headline today. Okay. My paper, UW-Madison braces for a hundred million dollar hit, $100 million hit. All right. And then there's an article over here, state eases licenses rules for nurses. It's kind of interesting that those two are on the same page here. You're getting rid of all this progressive licensing and making it easier. And on the other side, our university systems, which have grown huge in all of these different positions are saying we're taking a, a million dollar hit at least. And also underneath here, a university will not, will not reimburse students for tuitions and fees. Wow. I mean, I don't know. It, to me, it seems like there should be some prorating on that. But but anyway, like these are the things that are starting to come out now. And if, if you if you do the math, which I've done, um, talk to the people into this, it's like that's that's at least a 20 percent cut in funding that, that's coming out of the university. I'm hearing the same thing with school districts, 20 percent cut in, in funding. And this, this is just crazy. Right. It's, these are big, big numbers. So anyway, we talked about how schools are funded. Federal funds um, that comes right from the feds. It goes to the states. The states give it out to the, the districts. Things such as Title I reading grants, special education, that's where that comes out of. The state funds, that's about half. So when the states fund, uh, fund education, it's per pupil. So the more students you have, the more money you get. 
That's exactly how that formula get, goes. Okay. And we said it's about $12,000 on average. And, you know, it's higher and lower in some places, but about $12,000. So additional reimbursement to districts that have special education staffs. There's a little more that comes from the state um, into those districts. It's not a lot of money, though. Um, Medicaid reimbursement. We hear about schools. They, they bill if they have students with disabilities receiving services in the school, speech, language, occupational, physical therapy, nursing. They get a payment, which comes from either the state or the Fed in that. But it's not a whole lot of money. So really, it's the state is the big one. The second big pot of money is local, your community, and then you get some money from the Fed. It's a, it's a The Feds are going to cut these um, entitlements without a doubt. Like those will be slashed significantly. Uh, the state gets their revenue um, from taxes, right? Then property taxes through sales tax and different things like this. And of course, nothing, all of the businesses are closed right now everywhere. It's just, so the tax is, is, is just uh, eviscerated. That's gone. So there are going to be massive cuts from the state. Now let's talk about local funding because this gets really murky. And this is where um, school board meetings are going to become very, very intense over the next uh, month or two. So you want to be aware of this. Um, a school board sets what is called a mill rate, M-I-L, mill rate. Okay, a mill rate basically means for every um, $1,000 of property, you pay $1 in, in, in taxes. So, so let's think about this. So if I have a $100,000 house, okay, um, and the mill rate is set at, you know, $1 per $1,000, I would pay um, $1,000 in taxes. So usually, um, usually people are paying uh, in mill rate. So it's a big, it's a big chunk of their tax bill. What they pay in property taxes, especially in Wisconsin, you know, it's about half of their their entire tax bill goes toward school funding. Something called a mill rate. Schools can set that. They set it at an annual meeting, deciding what our mill rate is going to be. Um, so that is something. There's going to be much pressure from community members coming out and saying, listen, I've lost my job. My business is closed, all of this stuff. You've got to lower your mill rate. You've got to lower our taxes. Well, if in a lower taxes, that means the district has less money to pay for staff and, and everything else. So be familiar with that term, MIL, mill rate. It's the rate of uh, taxation that the school board sets of how it's going to tax its community. Um, so mill rate also has something which is, the, let's talk about referendums. School districts kind of went bananas in the last, I don't know, maybe three, four years with referendums for school safety and building and everything because one, um, the economy was really good, right? It was easy to get money. You could finance things really cheap. Um, if you had a referendum and you said, we're doing this because we want to increase safety of the buildings or putting in new windows, entrances, stuff, people typically voted for that. They're super high rate, like above 80% of referendums are passing. Now people have these debts as communities, right? And they go up for, you know, 20, 30 years and they have to pay those. So when they get their property taxes right now, they, they're going to have to pay these. Most taxes arrive in December, but people, boards have to think ahead. They have their, their annual meetings. They set their mill rates. This stuff is on the horizon. Now there's, in addition to that, and I think where we've talked about it in previous live streams, you know, there's been a lot of school expenditures, which were really extravagant, you know, artificial turf playing fields and all of these types of things, uh, you know, jumbotrons and whatever, those those things getting passed. There's also something called a recurring referendum. So like, let, think of it this way with your house, okay? If you had a referendum 
to build your house. You say, okay, I'm going to have a referendum for $200,000 that passes. I build my house. That's one thing like that happens and it's done, but there's something called a recurring referendum and a lot of schools used it. And what they would say is, okay, we're going to have that $200,000 referendum for your house. And we're also going to pay $10,000 a year forever for like lawn care and stuff like that. So it's a recurring debt. Um, and you can't get rid of that, right? That's part of a referendum. So you have a lot of school districts that have done these recurring expenses. And these are very hard then to, to you'd have to have a referendum to work those back out of the system. So recurring expenses, like, you know, schools will say, we're going to spend an additional $300,000 every year. The taxpayers will give us because they, you know, pass this referendum. They'll give us an extra $300,000 a year for technology. And then that just goes on and on and on. It doesn't sunset. There's another thing called a fund balance, okay? Not a fund balance, not an F-U-N balance. It's not fun, but it's a fund balance. And basically, it's money the district has saved over the years. Um, those can range from anywhere, you know, of a million dollars to a few, few million dollars, but they're not meant to perpetually pay for things. So let's talk about, okay, so that's kind of our school funding model. Let's talk right now about austerity measures that are going to take effect in schools or like budget cuts, right? Let's talk about budget cuts. Um, school safety, uh, well, school contracts, staff contracts, those come due June 30th in most places, June 30th. So everybody's under contract right now. Everybody's getting paid through June 30th, but right now schools have to figure out who are we going to offer a contract to for the upcoming year, right? Who are we going to extend this contract to teachers, staff, and so forth? So June 30th, um, there, there are going to be a number of people not getting contracts for the upcoming year. Um, so this, this happens right now. Schools are figuring out who we're going to offer our contracts to. Um, school administrators usually get a two-year contract, but you're probably going to see schools um, approaching administrators or school boards and saying, you know, you've got to feel the pain just like everybody else. So now in addition to being a principal or whatever, you're, you're going to teach two classes or you're going to have multiple buildings or whatever, like these, these positions will be re redefined. Um, and again, I'm saying, and what I've heard, all the, the uh, information funneled in, schools should prepare for a 20% budget reduction, less money coming in out of the state, fed, local. That could be conservative in some places. Again, if you have a very vocal community that says, listen, you know, our main employers have shut down. We haven't worked in five months. You're expecting us to pay this in taxes? This is crazy. We'll lose everything that we have. School boards are going to be responsive to that and they're going to lower their mill rate. So instead of a 20% reduction, maybe it's like a 30% reduction. So th this is unprecedented. I mean, districts that have declining enrollment and things like that, they might experience, um, you know, reductions from one year to another of, of maybe something of three, four percent, that would be considered pretty substantial. Nothing like a 20% a or more reduction. Um, so if parents choose to homeschool their kids, that means the district wouldn't receive that $12,000 we were talking about that they typically get. Now, if the district is is has a virtual school and, and they're providing education for, through the virtual, they would continue to receive that $12,000. But if parents start to say, you know, we've, we've had, we've, we've had this experience now of doing virtual school. Maybe we just want to go with homeschooling. I think that's going to happen um, in a number of cases, 55 million kids, K-12 all across the U S you know, if we had, 
you know, just, you know, 5 million of those, those kids, 3 million of those kids become homeschooled. This would have a big change in our system. So um, let's look at something else here. There's something called uh, tax districts, right? <laughs> schools, um, th this is something schools just have to deal with because the communities will say, we want to grow. We want to grow our community. And what we're going to do is this new building comes in, this new industrial, you know, this new industry, whatever. Um, we're going to give them a break. We're going to put in roads. We're going to give them sewer and water and stuff like that. We'll pick that up as a city. And we're also going to allow them to not pay city taxes for like 10 or 15 years. Okay. So it's it's basically it's a special protected tax district. It's an incentive to get businesses to come into your community. That that works under the model that your community continues to grow and that the economy continues to do well. But now if you've just put together these, these agreements, which a lot of districts and communities, they have these agreements to bring in businesses, suddenly things are tanking, things are going bad, and you have no money that you're going to get from this, this business, which is here, which is taking up space. And, and they might, be, you know, otherwise you'd be taxing this. If it was 15 years from now, they'd be on your tax roll you'd be getting some tax from them. You're not getting any of that. So if you drive around your community and you're looking at this place and this place, which has been put up in the last you know, two, three years, there's a strong likelihood that they aren't paying taxes. They've probably been put in through this special tax protected district, which is what places do because everybody's competing for jobs. So let's talk about what will get cut, okay? And before that, I'm going to pause right here. Anybody have any questions um, in the in the chat room? Um, everything coming through okay? Just going to move over here. Um, and dun, 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 dun. all right, good. So if everything is everything's good, any questions? I can I can take those. All right, all right. Any, hopefully I'm not freezing up at all. I know things have been thinned out quite a bit with the internet. So, um, so yeah, what will, what will get cut? So let's walk through what's going to get cut. Again, we're talking at least 20% reduction. And again, the thing is most people, they're not aware of this. Educators, administrators kind of have a sense because their boards are saying, we're going to have emergency meetings in the next few weeks. We got to prepare teacher contracts. Teachers really aren't aware of this. I talked to a number and they're saying, well, in fall, when this kind of returns to some self-similarity, we're gonna need more counselors. We're gonna need more social workers. And I'm thinking, um, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying, but you have no idea that the funding source, what you're getting is gonna be so substantially altered and and diminished. Um, you're not gonna be getting any, no, no, nothing new, right? You're going to be, um, contracting quite significantly every single district um, in in the country. So the biggest expense in the district is staff and is staff, right? Paying your staff salary, paying your staff benefits. That's your biggest expense. So you're going to have to make some reduction in staff to get underneath this twenty percent threshold. So you can just function. So that's that's right off the top. Maintenance, um, you know, anything that's in a maintenance budget budget and a maintenance fund. Uh, maintenance is just going to be stalled. If we were going to replace the windows, if we were going to patch this area on, on the uh, sidewalk, you know, if whatever we were going to do, we were going to, you know, up, upgrade something in our HVAC system, not happening, right? Nothing will happen. All of those accounts will be shut down. 
Um, un unencumbered building projects. If you've passed something and the building isn't up yet, you haven't bid it out on contract, that'll be shut down. Everything will come to a stand still. I think it was the city of Boston I was reading. City of Boston has, has closed um, all of their construction projects, except some stuff that's in progress right now. They just shut it down. We're not going to do it. We have no idea how much money we'll have. Um, Como said the same thing in New York. Just expect. I mean, we might have a year or two where the only thing we're doing is just filling some potholes. I mean, that might be it. Um, so maintenance, support staff. If if you're a support staff in a district, um, you really need the students to be there. Support staff are, are assigned to students. If it's unlikely students are going to be coming back into the district, uh, your position will be gone, right? That position isn't going to be there. And there's a lot of iffy stuff for fall. Are we going to have a second wave of this? Do we want to have schools, uh, um, you know, start a little bit later? What is this? But support staff, we're going to have big cuts. Bus drivers, big cuts. Kitchen staff, gone. Office staff, gone. These are folks right now who aren't under contract. Bus drivers, kitchen staff, office staff, they can be terminated at any time. If, if it was a teacher right now, you couldn't do that. You'd have to pay out the contract, which is through June. Um, athletic directors, coaches, gone. None of that. Public relations and community relations positions, those should have been gone in the first place. This will take care of them. They'll be gone. Here's another thing that changes, right? In most states, you have 180 days of student contact time in the contract. So if I'm a teacher, my contract might be for 190 days a year, 10 days for professional development, and then 180 days teaching face-to-face -face with the students or virtual or whatever it is, but I'm working with the students. Now, states are saying, listen, we're not going to do the 180 days requirement anymore. We're going to reduce it. It might be 140 days. Well, if you take 140 days versus 180, that's a 22% reduction, which means if teachers you know, are hired on for the next year, this upcoming year, if 2020-21 is only 140 days long, um, they're going to get a 22% cut in their pay, so in their salary and in their benefits, if not more. So again, this is what we're looking at. This is very widespread of saying, hey, we're going to make the school year shorter. Um, professional development. Oh my goodness, I talked about this. People going to conferences. I'm going to a conference and I'm gone for you know two, three days. And then you have to get a sub for that person. Um, and, and then you're, you're paying expenses you know, for mileage and all of that stuff. All of these big conferences, which were sponsored by vendors anyway, and as big a social event, um, those will be gone. We know that we can do these virtually. We know that we don't have to get people out of buildings. There's not going to be the money for it, right? There's not the money for it. And your social distancing, you're, the, no one is going to take this on in the next year and put together a 300-person conference, which they sh shove into these you know, small rooms and small areas um, to make it economical and make the most money they can. That stuff's done. Here's something else. Student mental health services, those that, those that continue to expand out, the money is just not going to be there. The money for those comes from the county. Uh, the county's not going to have funding for that. Um, there isn't a national model for it. In 2015, there was a the national bill um, for mental uh, health for students and schools. Didn't pass. There's nothing out there for funding structure with that. So that's that's also going to, to take a big hit. Um, now, I'm not, I'm not taking sides on this stuff, right? I'm being really objective. I'm not taking sides. I, I'm just I'm being totally upfront because... This might be the first time you hear some of this, and you're going to hear much more of this over the next few weeks, especially as your schools start to have more meetings, more board meetings. Teachers are going to start being more vocal of saying, I don't know if, if I have a position next year. I don't know what the school has in mind 
Um, but definitely they're going to get word very soon from the state of, listen, you know, we just had, for example, one month where we we lost virtually everything in our, you know, tax income. Um, and we're going to have more months like that. We don't have the money to do this. We're going to have to do delay this, delay roads or whatever. And it's not going to be just schools. Like everyone's going to get the notice. You've got to function the upcoming year on, you know, eight tenths of your budget or seven tenths of your budget. Um, let's move down here to what do, I, what do I think is going to get funded? So I think virtual learning platforms will get funded. So, you know, we're seeing that right now. Zoom is a big popular one with schools, teachers learning Zoom. I think that's going to get funded. Um, Chromebooks and iPads, that type of technology that gets out to kids, that one-to-one -one technology, hotspots, Wi-Fi that get, you know, get out to families so they can access the instruction. That stuff will get funded. And also, this is new, programs to train parents how to use um, virtual learning like Zoom and, and things like that because, you know, there are a number of parents who are like, I've never used this. I don't know how to use this. So there'll be some funding out there for teaching parents how to do that. Um, but otherwise, what gets funded? Not a lot. A lot. Of, everybody is, is going to take this massive, massive cut. It's going to have a lot of anxiety with it. You're going to see people positioning and arguing almost that they're essential. I'm an essential service because I teach this versus somebody else. Um, and it, it's it's going to, you know, it's going to get to be like that. We're going to see a, a reduction in overall offerings in schools, athletics, um, organized athletics, all of these things which are ancillary are, are going to be gone. There's just no money to fund these things. Um, school safety in America. So let's take a look at school safety. You know, safety doc. Let's take a look at school safety and how this might actually look for us. So first of all, school safety is a $3 billion a year industry. Okay, $3 billion a year. 80% of that gets spent on fortifications. So whether it be bollards, whether it be fences, cameras, you know, th things like that. So that's where most of the money goes. Um, thanks, Cameron. Um, so, it, so all of that money is going and we have all of these safety conferences. Like I get little dings on my phone every day. I've got a Google alert, new conference, new conference. Well, now those are all shutting down. Conference isn't being held. It's canceled and whatever. That industry had gotten way out of hand and it's going to constrict massively school safety. Um, we, again, and the, the, we, these dangerous intruder exercises that, um, we're challenged by the National Educators Association. Um, those will all be a thing of the past because, again, people are going to be, dollars are so much, um, we're competing so much for dollars, we're not going to have, where we're going to be paying these other companies to come in and to do safety. People are going to have to figure it out and do it themselves, and they'll be capable of doing that. So let me go back to something that happened in 2014 to give us a little context. So in 2014, I... I wrote an article about this. Um, it, it was uh, September 18th, 2014. President Obama issued an executive order combating antibiotic-resistant bacteria, or MRSA. Remember, we used to hear about MRSA. People would go to a gym, or they would go, um, you know, to the the weight room in a school, and it was, you know, college players, high school players, whatever turf fields, and and they would come up with with infections, and they just wouldn't heal. They wouldn't get better. They were resistive to to um, you know, antibiotics, and they kind of call them like flesh-eating bacteria. That wasn't exactly right on, but it's pretty close. So what happened 
is when this really started to catch fire, you know, back in 2014, 2015, some of us forget this, but that was a big discussion. What do we do to keep MRSA out of our schools, out of our gyms, um, out of our locker rooms? You know, what if we get it into our kitchens and other things? You know, this was pretty dire stuff. So I'm, I'm reading this directly from the article, just a short paragraph. A few wealthy districts are spending tens of thousands of dollars on special machines that kill MRSA on desk, door handles, and fitness room equipment. A $100,000 germ zapping robot named Gronk, okay, after, you know, Gronk, the football player from the Patriots, um, this robot named Gronk is helping to kill MRSA at a Massachusetts high school. The article about this notes that 350 of these robots have been sold to hospitals, medical facilities, and schools across the country. Okay, let's pause. All right, that was back in 2016 that that, that, that happened, right? That people were concerned about MRSA, schools that could afford it. They're like, we're going to buy this germ zapping robot. So basically, this robot, it's like an R2-D2 type thing. It goes into a classroom, no kids, nobody in there. You close the door, and it would shoot these ultraviolet and laser beams around and, and kill bacteria and viruses and whatever. It probably worked, right? But then as soon as you would go to the next room and kids would come back in, that stuff would all be contam recontaminated again. But but the thing is, it's a hundred thousand bucks to buy one of these germ zapping robots. And districts could that could afford it, they were doing it because it's customer perceived value. We can show this to parents and say, listen, we're doing something. We've got the germ zapping robot. I mean, could you take the bottle of bleach and dilute, you know, water and bleach and, and wipe things down and have a, a pretty similar effect? Probably, but no, we've got the germ zapping robot and that's where things are at with school safety. So here's what I'm hearing right now. We talked about school safety. I've written about school safety up until a month ago, school safety. When you talked about that to anybody, they're thinking, oh, it's intruder drills. Um, it's active shooter. It's stuff like that. When you talk about school safety, this fall, to any administrator out there, here's what they're going to be thinking. School safety, yeah, it's uh, antibacterial and virus stuff. Uh, school safety is going to be uh, germs, um, hand washing, uh, personal protective equipment. That's where they're going to go. That's going to be the definition of school safety for the near term, at least for the next year or two years. And things such as, uh, you know, active shooter um, other types of areas, fire drills, things like that, they're, they're just going to be very much in the background because right now everybody is wondering how in the world are we going to return to a populated, dense school environment, a brick and mortar environment, and have that, have that safe from uh, coronavirus or variants of the coronavirus. So there's some things that have developed really quickly. So school safety marketing is, is insane, right? People get marketed stuff because one, there isn't any law that says it has to be tested and has to be certified and anybody can market it. You don't have to be a safety expert, whatever that means, some certification to be able to market this stuff. So it is is just wild. It's just wild. Um, so here's what you're here's what you're going to see. This is what's going to get funded for school safety. Anything that kills germs or viruses, any of these Gronk robots, any new robot that someone develops, any type of special wand. Hey, welcome, Atham. And I uh, appreciate another thumbs up there in the in the chat. I appreciate that. So yeah, we're talking about what gets funded for school safety. 
people are going to yeah to fund germ zapping robots, all of these these ultraviolet wands, these Ghostbuster type backpacks that mist all around, right? You know, and they're like it's an ionized mist, so it sticks to stuff, I guess. And maybe it's effective, but again, um, you know, you have hundreds of kids coming in and out of an environment, but this stuff will sell. It's selling right now. Marketers are, are really ramping this up. From our good friend, Lori Green, um, over at idighardware.com, just in the last day, she posted about hands-free 3D printed door openers for lock for, for locked doors, right? And just for doors in general that you can operate with a with like a pen or a stylus. Then these things are being made and marketed to schools already, like in the last week. Now, first of all, I don't know how in the world that interfaces with building codes or ADA, but that's kind of out the window right now. We've got the Stafford Act and anything goes. If I'm a district and someone is coming to me and saying, listen, I can 3D print you these things, or like I can sell you a 3D printer. I can sell you this, this program, this code, right? You can print new um door handle covers, which then open with a pen. And, and every month you can change these things out. Wouldn't you want to tell your families you're doing that? Wouldn't you want to tell your teachers? And by the way, like you're printing them from this material, which is antimicrobial and antiviral. That stuff is actually happening right now. I didn't, I, I was wondering how long it would take. I honestly was wondering how long it would take before the vendors retooled and came into this arena. Now, the thing is like schools don't have money. They're, I mean, we we know they're taking this massive hit of, of probably 20%, if not more, for the following year. But they will spend money on this. They'll spend money on this uh, if they need to prioritize th this versus a staff position or two staff positions. They'll put money into this. So anyway, think about these door handle openers, which have been you know created now. Um, also, antimicrobial coatings for door handles. This reminds me so much of when they were doing the bullet resistive window films on, you know, windows in schools, like first floor, second, third floor, you know, third floor, this stuff was all over the place. Now people have just taken it and they're saying, hey, we've got these different antimicrobial, you know, films that you can put on, you can spray on it, you know, or, or you can put on like a, like a tape or something like that. And, and you can cover up areas and it'll, you know, obviously it's supposed to kill microbes, but um the areas they're marketing these to. And again, this is just like in the last week, right? They're saying, hey, you can put them on door handles. You can put them on chairs, desks, lunch tables, light light switches. Well, like anything, right? You can put this stuff on. Does it work? It might work. I mean, it. I'm not, this is the thing that is so frustrating, right? In safety. It's like the bollards in front of the school building, which are in the, the picture, the thumbnail for this. The reality is, it probably would work to stop a car from hitting the school, like breaking the school. But we know that schools aren't attacked that way. And we know it's better to spend money on something else like two-way radios and whatever. But um, let me go over to the chat because Atham has had a great point. He said, all it takes is sneezing again. And then all the disinfected stuff gets infected again. And it's true. And they're and they're finding out, um, you know, air air systems. So, you know, at once your, your HVAC system is circulating around a school, um, what what are you moving? You know what what is still um, it, it, it aerated? You know droplets moving in there. Do you have to put in new filtrations? That'll be another thing too, right? People will come in and say we're going to do this special UV light thing at every you know twenty feet in your HVAC system, and we'll have new filters. Um, there are these what the MERV filters M R E M E R V. MERV is the rating how much particulate matter it gets out. And you can sell these things. They can be expensive. I mean, you could sell and say you got to change these out every, you know, 
30 days and each filter is 150 bucks. And those things will sell, right? Um, Atham also wrote, uh, people who get sick need to wear a surgical mask. They don't spread it as easily. Isn't that more expensive alternative? Yeah, so I think once we can get personal protective gear in place, we're going to see schools change their, their concept of safety. They're going to have kids um, wearing masks, especially if they're sick. It'll just be a mandatory, right? You're, you're going to have to wear this. People coming into the building from outside, maybe it's part of the check-in procedure now. You have to wear this mask. Um, we're going to have personal protective gear. We have school nurses. Um, we're going to have a whole different way that we're dealing with kids, especially if they have a temperature you know, maybe that there's a designated room that they they go in and there's a disinfecting process after they leave there and go home. All of this stuff will change. But uh, as Atham, as you indicated, um, what we're going to see in schools will be significantly different in fall if kids return in fall. And that's going to be, hey, you know, here here's our closet where we have the different size mask. Do we have where every student has to wear a mask for a while? Um, you know, we've heard about that. If we get out in public right now, uh, there's some conflicting, you know, whether it be the World Health Organization or whatever. Should we be wearing masks? Um, who provides the mask? What if a kid brings a mask from home? What does this have to do with our whole um, identity and, and safety? You know, we don't want kids to wear hats, but it's okay to wear a mask. And I mean, so these will be real policy things. People will be like, our policy, how do we how do we address masks? And how do we address equity? What if somebody comes in, they don't have a mask? How do we change those out? Can we force somebody to wear a mask? Who in the world knows? Um yeah, Atham wrote, ever since schools uh, shut down, we haven't had a single school shooting. And, you know, think think about how many um, car accidents. I also read something where the number of vehicular deaths, which is about 35,000 a year, is on pace this year to be the lowest in in decades. So, um, so we talked about, you know, what's going to get funded in schools. Hand washing stations. Those will be all over the place. Okay. Those will be all over the place. They'll be very overt. There'll be a lot of creative stuff. Like you'll wash your hands and there'll probably be some timer, whether it be like a light that not like a red light, but you know, some kind of thing that would engage kids. People will market this or some kind of song. Or once you start the water, you'd have to like keep washing until the 30 seconds was complete. Like this will all be out there. Um, you're going to, um, you're going to have, you know, much more use of, of gloves. You're going to have barriers. Um, between, you know, when you, when you come in and you're meeting with um, the school secretary, there's probably going to be like a plexiglass, you know, wall there and things like that. Um, but so we're going to have a, a lot of innovation going on. Some of this stuff will be good. Some of it is just pure, crazy, intense marketing, right? That is, that is just, that is just the idea. They're going, they're going to come in. Schools will have grants. Um, they haven't been released yet, but they'll obviously be grants to battle, um, you know, virus activity in schools. So it's going to be a yeah, hand washing, personal protective gear, um, anything antimicrobial, all of these things like, you know, here's a different way to enter a classroom so you don't have to put your hand on a door. Um, these Gronk, you know, type zapping robots and stuff like that. So you'll have grants to do this. This will this will be short-lived because I think overall the economy is going to have this massive constriction and everything is going to get cut down. But you're going to have money put out there for this. So if you're a school board, you get hit and our good friend, Nick Schulander, um, always shared this with us, customer perceived value. 
So why does this work? It works because if I go into a school district and I say, you can buy my antimicrobial coatings for your door handles. The thing is, you have to replace them every 30 days and we're only going to back them if you do that and you have to purchase from us, you know, how many you have. And people are like, great. Okay. Um, they go and they feel that they're doing something. This is making them safer. They go and they share it out with um, their community. The, the newspaper comes in, boom, 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 get a few pictures, a little story, it's all good. The next district over is like, well, we don't have those. We didn't get the antimicrobial coating stuff. So, oh, your vendor, yeah, I'm glad to sell you that. Here you go. So again, as Atham said, somebody comes in, you know, one kid comes in, sneezes, everything is, is gone. How effective really are these things? We don't have trials, but this is what we're gonna see. You know, hand sanitizer, when that stuff finally gets back in stock, who knows when that'll be, right? When hand sanitizer gets back in stock, man, God, that's going to be all over the schools. So, like, that's probably going to be outside of every classroom, inside every classroom. You're going to have regulations, um, school-based rules where kids are going to have to do this stuff, um, getting on buses, all of that stuff. Um, it's just it's just wild. So that's kind of where we're, where we're at. School funding um, is going to take a big haircut. Um, Let's go over to the chat room um, and dun, dun, dun. Um, Cameron wrote um, tuition will go down probably. I, I think so. I think so. Right. So I brought this up a little bit earlier. I'm going to bring it back right now. And just just so we have a timeline, once we get to 10 o'clock, I will I'll I'll stop the, the chat. This is in my paper today and it says UW-Madison. Um, braces for $100 million cut. And then, you know, goes on that that's probably just the start. I, I don't think any university is going to have dorms open in fall. I, I just don't see that happening because it's likely we're going to have a revisit of this. And, and no one also wants to take on that liability of doing that. And I think it's real iffy at this point, even if K-12 schools return in fall. I just, I don't know if, if we can even guarantee that that's going to be a thing, at least in face to face. I I just I would I would hedge my bets on that. I, I just don't know. Um, but again, for school, how schools are are funded, we have these these three main streams. Um, the number one is through the state, and that's through property taxes. Okay, your tax bill is through sales tax. Um, so that that's your number one. Number two is your local taxes, um, and and. Your number three is is through the feds, like through block grants. All three of those areas will be restricted. And there'll be a lot of pressure locally. It's what called an annual meeting where they set your tax rate. There'll be a lot of pressure. People will come out to that. I have, as a school administrator, let me tell you, that was one board meeting that I never liked going to, the one where we had to set the mill rate. Even if we had good news, right? If we had good news that we were retiring some debt, off of the district because the high school, you know, was paid, was referendum of 25 years ago. It's paid off now. We have no, no, no debt anymore. Even if we had good news to share, hey, you're going to be paying a little bit less in taxes. People always want to pay less in taxes. There would always be pressure to lower the mill rate. And now, now when people are coming into these meetings and they're public meetings and public votes, Okay, people don't know this, right? But the public votes on how much your local levy is. The district doesn't get to set that in a closed session. That is a public set session. They have to make people aware. A lot of times, you know, not a lot of people would come to those meetings. You know, maybe 10, 15 people would go to those meetings, especially if you knew like who is really pro school, you could get them in there and have them vote that in. But you're, those will be very publicized. People will be showing up and they'll be saying, again, listen, 
I've lost my job. My business has closed. Um, we, we cannot do this. I mean, right now I cannot pay more. I have to have tax relief. You have to lower this. You have to function with less money. Um, so this, this is really the discussion coming out. And again, I would say we're going to see uh, school the school year, whether that be in person or whether that be face-to-face or some blended or whatever. Right now, it's 180 days of student contact. That's going to get decreased. It's already been decreased by some states. But look for it to go to 140 days, which is a 22% reduction. So if you did have just the same faculty, for example, and you won't because you'll you'll be cutting a lot of a lot of teachers, but if you had the same faculty, they would in turn take a 22% corresponding pay cut, if not more. School contracts um, start on July 1st. They run through June 30th. So everybody who's on a contract now, that contract will expire June 30th. People who aren't on contracts in schools, your kitchen staff, your bus drivers, they've already been furloughed. Um, A lot of those folks are probably looking for other jobs at this point. Anything that, you know, coaches, athletic directors, stuff like that, that's all done. That's all none of, and I don't even see that coming. I don't see that coming back. I mean, we're looking at something so monumental for the ways that schools have to function. Now, again, is I'm, I'm looking at all of this and you've heard me before. You've heard me before. I think that school spending did kind of get out of hand for, for quite a while, especially as I saw referendums being passed for these massive complexes, including you know artificial turf fields and jumbotrons and, and kind of all of this latest you know technology and things like that, there is always a price tag to that. We can we can we need to be very good uh, stewards of our tax dollars. And now that we'll have less tax dollars, including you know the fire department, um, you know the city. Um, Maintenance, everyone is is going to have less dollars. We're all competing for a much smaller pool right now. There is not going to be any type of federal stimulus bill which is going to bring us back to whole. And some people are believing that's going to happen. That just won't. Um, So this is this is a a a, I don't know evolutionary time. So again, school safety wrote the whole book about school safety. Still has a lot of tenants which are really accurate today. But when people think about school safety. Um, when they thought about it, you know, at the start of 2019, they're thinking about assailant um, drills, uh, school intruders, school shootings, school violence, harassment, bullying. When they think about school safety for the fall 2020-21, everyone's going to be thinking antibacterial, social distancing, hand washing, virus, um, things like that. Th- that is going to be the new definition of school safety. That's where the funding is going to be. So this whole industry of school safety that kind of, it just got out of hand. It got way out of hand. And again, with these, these massive conferences and people paying $500 for a, a, a you know, one day conference and, and, you know, to, to have these people pitch stuff to them about school safety and devices and all that, that industry is gone. That's gone. Um, now there are some. I mean, there are some very solid core people in school safety. It's an essential industry, and I, I know those people. But there were so many people who just took this and and ran with it to make to make money because it was just getting funded. We had 500 bills a year, you know, that were being proposed for school safety. Um, I don't. I don't know how people are going to react to uh, you know being told a 20% cut. I was an administrator in a school district uh, that had to close two elementary, two rural elementary schools 
because we had declining enrollment. So we had less money coming in. Um, and you know, that was, that was a, we had many, many meetings to get to that point and outspoken community people. And you felt really like bad for doing this, but you had to, because you didn't have the students, you didn't have the money. I'm going to pause right there. Cameron wrote, do you think social distancing will be implemented into the school system long-term, maybe a few years from now? Cameron, that's a great question. And actually, I think it's going to be implemented immediately. I don't think there's going to be any delay on that. When people come back into schools, it's kind of like Walmart. Um, I was I was at Walmart a couple days ago, and on the floor in the checkout area, there are um, blue boxes painted on, and it's like, stand here, stand here, and they're all six feet away to keep people distancing. They also have it over by the pharmacy. Schools will be very quick on this. This mandate will come out at a state level or else schools will just do this. Immediately when you come back, like lunch, now there's there's certain logistics to this, right? Your room is only so big, um, your classroom, and you know typically classrooms have between 20 and 30 students. So how are you going to do that? But I mean, people are going to be thinking about this. You're going to see it right away at sporting events in the fall. You're going to have sections of bleachers where it might be, you know, every other row, row or there's going to be spacing in between it. It's going to be all marked off. So as you indicated, I mean, I think it's going to happen. I think it'll happen right away. Um, it, and if not, if it's not already in the mix, like right now, social distancing, that term will stick with us um, forever. And I think maybe if we don't have a, you know, a, the coronavirus or some type of you know, huge flu return in the next three, four years, there might be some easing of that. But I think everyone's going to be hyper vigilant on that because one is everybody's aware of it, right? There's nobody in America who isn't familiar now with social distancing. We've all gone through this together. We see these decrees coming out from the states. Um, and I shared earlier, like with Washington state, where you can report if there is a violation of social distancing, you can take pictures of it and things like that. Parents are going to expect this. Teachers are going to expect this. Um, and maybe it's going to be where you also, you know, Cameron, you know, to, to build off of what you wrote, maybe we have to come up with some new ways. Maybe it's like, Hey, um, 300 kids go to this school and it's pretty full. We, we're not going to have money to build another school that's out of the mix. Uh, maybe we have to go to every other day and then Friday is a virtual day. So maybe that's how we're going to do things to keep the population down in the, in the school. So we, we can have social distancing, fewer kids in classrooms. All of this is being um, talked about right now. I mean, I've, I've, I've talked with several superintendents, uh, different principals, uh, school leaders in the last like three, four days, including today. And they're, they're saying, yeah, we're, we're just trying to think if we were to start up again here at some point, what would we do? Or what do we even do for board meetings? What do we do when we have our teachers come in, right? Right, Cameron? This was a discussion a soup had today. Um, they in their school they put in a marker by the the copy machine um, because you could either send stuff to the copy machine or you know take it down. Everybody knows how goddamn copy machine works, right? But um, anyway, they had they had markers because people are congregating. They're copying a lot of stuff right now. They're sending it home to families, and they said, "No, you've got to be six feet back, or you've got to be another six feet back, or six feet back." Um, so this is this is really on everybody's uh, everybody's mind. Um, and we think about these, you know, again, sporting events, these brand, these big, massive stadiums, you know, that seat thousands of people. And I'm looking in my hometown when, I, when this is done later tonight, I'll go to the track, which is a few blocks away. I'm the only one out there because it's late at night. Um, but, you know, all of the bleachers for the football games, if they do have football in fall, you know, if they when they have track and other things, they're going to have to mark these things off. I mean, maybe they're going to be painted. 
Um, who knows? Maybe the, whatever. And there, there's just going to be a very clear rule. Here's where you can sit and here's where you can't. And I think people are going to enforce that um, because one is they're just used to it right now. We've been so used to and conditioned in a short time to social distancing. I think it's also liability, right? Schools are going to want to make sure that they're not having people take pictures of the, this this crowd on the bleachers and, and whatever. They're going to be aggressive in making sure that people sit in their areas and, and embrace social distancing. This, as, as, as weird as the spring has been, as weird as the spring has been, I think the fall is going to be even stranger because if once you start to have people and students back and parents back in a building, schools are not at all designed through structurally or conceptually to have people social distance. You know, you have people congregate into areas you have, um, you know, your, your bleachers in the gymnasium, your classrooms, a 25 desk, your theaters and stuff like that. They're all kind of population dense. Think of a school bus, 40, 50 kids on a school bus. Somebody sneezes anthem, right? It's like a chew. Oh my goodness. That now we're all in trouble. Um, how are you going to, to do school busing? I'm here in Wisconsin. You get to the Northern part of the state. That's completely rural. So kids are being bused, you know, 40, 50 minutes or more one way. So what do you do on that bus if somebody sneezes? But this is where the marketers come in and they'll start selling stuff or, you know, special misting sprays or, you know, some um, sanitizing laser beam thing that you put on a bus, um, uh, Mr. Laser, whatever they call it, you know, who knows? And you're going to have these things, but are they going to be effective? And what, what do you, you know, you're absolutely right, Cameron, the whole playbook for school safety gets rewritten. And nobody, they can say that they did, but nobody practiced pandemics. Nobody did that. Nobody had tabletops. Um, here's how it went down. Like I did a, a show about this. Uh, maybe, you know, what was it about a month ago when this started to get a little iffy? I'm like, yeah, something bad might be coming out of this for schools. And I said, schools aren't prepared for this. Schools will look to the county. And that's the way it always was when I was an administrator. If you had a shutdown because of some type of virus, or if it was like food poisoning or mold or whatever it was, it was the county health department that was telling you. And that happened a few times, like schools, kids would get norovirus or some kind of flu, the typical flu, and you might shut down for a week or, or two weeks, um, just because a lot of kids were out and then it would pass. But um, so schools just basically said, we're just going to let the county tell us. And that's not the way that it happened this time. Counties were kind of dragging their feet, waiting for the state to make a decision. States were waiting for the Fed to come out with a decree, which you know happened about two two weeks ago. Um, so th it was real choppy the way that that this happened. But yeah, this this fall though, I I think we're going to see really different things. I I don't I don't anticipate, especially if it's a, a highly populated school. Um, you're going to have kids there every day. It might be every other day because of social distancing. How about preschools, right? Community preschools? My goodness. I mean, we have in my state 2,200 sites, including community preschools. How do you do distancing in a preschool when the kids want to be close to each other? And how do you make sure that they're wearing, you know, masks or if they're sick? Um, what, how do you, uh, how do you make sure that they're not coming into the building with a fever? Do you assign somebody um, when everybody comes in that does does the the temperature check, kind of like if, if they have fidelity at an airport, what, would you actually do that? Think about it. This may be the way that you come into school. I mean, in fall, a lot of superintendents were like, we're doing more, um, you know, high fives of students. We're doing, we're doing, uh, you know, building of culture and stuff. And now when students come in, you might be taking their temperature, taking their temperature. Oh, you're 100.4. Um, 
you need to stay right here and they go off into an area. That stuff's all, that stuff's all happening. So just a recap. Thank you for everybody uh, for joining me for uh, this live stream. I appreciate it. Um, if you can hit the thumbs up and, and subscribe, share this. I appreciate that. I'll have this show out um, probably in the next few hours because I already wrote the blog post. But a few things. Um, schools are in store for drastic austerity measures. We're looking at probably a 20% funding cut, and it's probably going to last for quite a while. The number one expense in schools is teachers, it's staff, salary and benefits. So we're going to have staff reduction, any, you know, cooks, buses, maintenance, everything is going to get hit. As far as school safety, all of that, you know, hyper-realistic intruder drills and window films and bollards, there'll be no money for that. That'll be gone. What you're going to see, though, is money coming out for hand, hand sanitizing, personal protective gear, um, education programs for teaching kids to, to, you know, stay clean, to sanitize things. You're going to see a lot of new technology. I already talked about somebody came up with this way to 3D print some antimicrobial plastic that goes over a door handle in a school. And then you just need a pen to use it to get in and out. You just use this, this pen to open and close the, the door or a stylus. You're going to see all kinds of stuff like that. All kinds of mixtures being sold, people walking around in backpack spring stuff. Um, that's where it's, that's where it's going to be at. Even though there's this, there's not money, right? There will be money for that because that's what parents and teachers want to see. And that then becomes social proof. One district does it. Others will be pressured into doing it. And if it comes down to, again, you know, we, we're going to do this, this germ fighting robot versus a math teacher. They're going to go with the germ fighting robot. That's not even a debate at this point, not coming in to this fall. So um, if you know, you know, I, I would, I'm going to, to, to end this with a, just a little reflection here. You know, someone who is a teacher, who's in education, um, this is an, an incredibly um, uh, unsettling time for them. A lot of them have not been uh, told this information by their administrators. Administrators are just getting this information from the state's uh, from their school boards saying, listen, we're not going to have the money. We've got, in a, we have contracts. We've got to get these contracts out in the next month for staff for fall. Um, people are going to start realizing this very fast. You're going to start hearing this if you're a parent uh, from your school saying, you know, we're going to have fewer offerings. We're going to have fewer staff. Um, people don't, this hasn't sunk in yet. People are, are just not realizing the fact that you don't have this complete um, stalemate, this economic collapse, this economic idling. Even if things recover, even if everything in two months kind of bounces back, we've taken this massive, massive hit. And yeah, unemployment, 20, 30% business is close. There's going to be definitely one, two, maybe three years of really hard times. Um, you know, for schools. Can they get through it? I absolutely believe that they can. I think school districts also that have been very responsible, good stewards, and, and not building these, these crazy facilities and doing a lot of these ancillary positions, um, I think they're going to be well positioned because they've already learned to be very lean and, um, you know, functional with whatever funding that they have. And in communities that are growing, if you're growing, if you're really a fast growing community and you've just passed referendums for new schools, now you've got the issue of, um, you know, not getting as much funding. Plus, like you're getting more kids at the same time. So you've got that going on. And you also probably have these tax protected districts. So these new companies that come that you gave all this money to come in, you built the water and sewer going out. 
to their place and you said, oh, we're not going to charge you school taxes for 10 or 15 years because you've come in and now they've laid it off everybody. So now you've got this, you know, these companies, they're not contributing. Um, your communities are still having to pay out the loans that they took to build the, the road, the water, the sewer, the electrical lines, the high speed internet, whatever, out to these places. You can see this kind of becomes this perfect storm. So let's go over here. Bull rush, howdy, everybody, bull rush, bull rush. Now, when you think of like Photoshop and things like that and the creative arts as they pertain to electronic media, bull rush is the person. He's really phenomenal with all of that. Um, and uh, yeah, bull rush, uh, just send, send the, send the kids to school in a bubble. That'll work. There, there, there's going to be some point in this where um, we, we have to have some determination, right, of what people deem safe for interaction and, and what they don't. Are we going to require, I mean, this is like what we're hearing right now. If we go out in public, are we going to have masks? I've actually, my my parents um, have masks now for when they go out in public. Um, and is that something that's just going to be part of, part of school? I don't know. I mean, like we're thinking about going back to Disney and I'm like, I, I'm trying to imagine like going through Disney and just having a mask on all the time. Can you imagine what the pictures look like? Like you go up <laughs> to the memory maker person, they're, they're the photographers, right? And they, they'll they take your picture and then it, it sinks over to an account. So you don't really even have to mess with your camera. But um, can you imagine like you're all sitting there taking your picture and like half your face is covered in a mask? I mean, it would just, it just has this weird concept. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. So, hey, Bull Rush, um, Cameron, Atham, anything in in the chat before we before we shut it down? Um, any anything at all? Uh, Bull Rush wrote, uh, "Why are people uh, so scared of getting sick?" Um, I, yeah, I mean, part of that is it's a great question. In that, if we become sick, I mean, if we don't become sick, right? It's, it's, it's the whole myth of if you have, uh, not the myth, but the premise of if you have a super clean house um, and you're not exposed to, uh, you know, dirt and bacteria and things like that when you're younger, when you get older, you're more likely to have allergies and things like that. I mean, I don't know all of the science behind it, but um, we we build up immun immunity. We have for forever to be exposed to to things. So part of me is wondering, and I don't know this, I haven't seen this, but if we, um, for example, you know, if, if I, if I would have, if I would get the virus, am I better off if the virus returns then in fall? Because I've had it, like I've got some immunity then to it, or is it better that I've been quarantined or, you know, basically self-isolating kind of with everybody else under the state decree, stay at home. And I don't get it, but like, it's always out there. So am I really, how much am I protecting myself? I mean, this is, this is, I, I think about this as really a, this debate, right? And, and especially for kids who have pretty robust immune systems, they're going to be exposed to this stuff if they are next to their parent when they go to Walmart, <laughs> if they go to, to the grocery store and they put their hands up on the, on the cart or you set them in there and, and that cart's been used by 50 people in a day. So there is something that, and our own immune systems, um, I, I don't know, um, I, it's a it's a great question because are we just creating uh, this this huge liability where um, we look back and it's like oh my goodness if people would have had more exposure to this the first time around they would have been better off to handle it the second time around I'm not but who knows like who who knows in that um, 
so bull rush wrote, will I get a rebate on my property taxes? Bull rush. He's also a comedian, folks. He's also a comedian. Um, yeah, the thing is absolutely not, right? And here the article I had from UW-Madison, which was in today's paper, saying that they're going to take a $100 million hit, also says, by the way, university will not reimburse students for tuition and fees. And fees are just ridiculous. Um, you know, all the different student councils type stuff that gets to the university. So to me, like, I'm reading that, and I'm thinking, you have an endowment. You, you already have a fund balance. And let's just talk priorities here. You know, Camp Randall, EW-Madison, 80,000 seats. The Cole Center, um, you know, another 17,000-seat complex. They are both starting construction, $77 million at uh, Camp Randall for expansion and renovation, $44 million over at the Cole Center. I haven't seen those iced, but, you know, maybe students should get a, a refund, some prorated refund on tuition because, you know, it's the middle of the semester and this happened. I don't like the feel of that at all. But, you know, Bullrush, you're right. And we talked about, um, you know, earlier in the in the show about property taxes. Property taxes are set locally, and that's about where half the money comes from schools at what's called an annual meeting. It usually happens in July, uh, but it can happen like in August, September. But just this, you want to check this out if you're a taxpayer. You want to know what's happening at this year's annual meeting. Like I will be at my annual meeting, and I want to know for sure exactly what is being spent and what the district has taken for austerity measures. Um, because everything is, is, is gone down. All of our property values, uh, will, will take a hit from this. Um, you know, the taxes coming in that, that pay for school staff, pay for busing, all of, everything's down, everything's gone. The only thing that's, you know, makes any sense is, you know, you're not paying these high fuel prices, but you're not running the buses anyway. Um, so it is, it is just, it's just incredible, um, stuff that, that's that's coming up but i you're going to these school meetings and if you have a chance to attend some of your school board meetings right now or some of them they do them online you're going to see some really intense fierce discussions about what stays and what goes what gets cut and what's gone and again i went through uh when i was an administrator we we closed two outlying buildings we had to cut um, a number of programs because you know we had declining enrollment and in, in the town had a foundry and the foundry laid off a lot of its workers. This is back in 2008 when the, the uh, GM and the car makers crashed and the foundry made a lot of parts for the cars. So the foundry shut down and then everything kind of spiraled. It did rebound. But in that time, we every meeting we had as administrators, it's like, what do we cut? What do we cut? What do we cut? What goes? What goes? What goes? And I mean, it was living lean. We got to a point and I, th there's a web, there's an article about this. It's going, uh, going digital for dollars. I came up with the idea, all right, to sell the upper right-hand corner of our district webpage. I knew how many hits it got. I asked the tech guy, I'm like, how many hits do we get as a district on this webpage? I don't know, whatever, you know, um, 2,000 a day. Or, or So I came up and I said, let's sell this upper right-hand corner for advertising. How much can we get? So we sold ads. I came up with it, presented it to the school board, like innovative thinking, like we had to do it. We had to get some money. And um, the, the, who bought it? The realtors, because realtors know that people are going to look at your website if they're coming into your community. The hospital, you know, other businesses in the community bought this because they wanted some exposure. Even though it was a downtime, we still had some exposures. Um, so I think we 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 had like seven to ten thousand dollars a year of new revenue recurring off of this, right? That we didn't have before. That then I could put in to bus repair. Like we had our own bus fleet. Like we had to get creative on this stuff. I mean, it was just but that is out there. 
Um, and people have got to do the same. Now that's not going to, to patch a 20% hole, but, um, you know, it was pretty cool. Again, I think it was called going digital for dollars. I don't know. I was on TV too with it, but I, it was a, that was a while ago. Um, so bull rush wrote, wrote and, and then we'll wrap it up here. Well, we've made it this far in evolution without Clorox wipes. Yeah. And unfortunately, like I can't even find any more Clorox wipes. Uh, so I think we're, I mean, that's become the new trading currency around here. Um, Cameron wrote, the universities in my area closed down for the next two semesters so far. So I'm guessing this semester in spring. Yeah. And what I've been hearing from my my faculty friends out in the field, um, what I've been hearing is we're also going to have some universities that just aren't going to open in fall. They're going to notify. Because, like, you know, look at our system here in Wisconsin. We have UW-Madison. Then we have a lot of smaller four-year universities, which still have seven or 8,000 students. Um, that made sense. That made sense a hundred years ago, you know, 120 years ago when they were founded, because it, it took a lot to travel from Superior to Madison and stuff like that. You didn't have the infrastructure and things like that. You didn't have virtual learning. It doesn't make sense today to have all of these universities. They've been going down in enrollment. I think you're going to see in my state, four or five of the bigger state universities, not UW-Madison, but a tier down, they're going to shut. They won't even open in fall. You're not going to have the dollars. You're not going to have the students to do it. Um, uh, Bull Rush, nice doc. That's back on uh, selling that web space stuff. Yeah, that was actually really fun too. <laughs> the tech guy and I made a commercial, an ad, and we had a whitewater rafting thing, a little spoof, and it had our business manager in it. In this whitewater raft, we put his face over it and um, and it went up in the corner. And it was actually, it was really funny. Like, even though like it was really trying times for the district and stuff like that. And we just we, you know, showed what this would look like. But the doc had his sense of humor, even during the stressful times. Um, all right. Cameron wrote, I definitely don't want to be doing calculus online. Yeah. I mean, there's some things... Um, Right. People are like, how do we do this? How do we do like a nursing lab online and, and some of this? I don't know. And that's where we're going to have to open some of this stuff up with social distancing. And Cameron, that's where it might be where, you know, there are only five students allowed in on certain days. So if you have a lab, instead of having one lab where 20 students are there, now you have to have four labs. All right. And anything else is going to be done virtual. Everything's going to be be recorded. Um, stuff like that. Um, calculus too. Yeah. When I was in high school, little fact here, safety doc. I decided to drop trigonometry my last semester of school and take plastics. And I made a, a plastic um, a duck, a mallard, and a plastic uh, bank and a sled, all right? To this day, I still have the mallard and my kids use the sled on the sledding hill 30 years later. So um, yeah, going back to my counselor, Mr. Tulupa, who is right now, Safety doc, sled. And I learned that stuff anyway. I picked it up. Um, Atham, um, I might not even have money to pay tuition. So if they're not open this fall, I don't care. Yeah, that's the part. Atham, right. People don't people don't grasp this. There isn't going to be the money to do this. And if we're prioritizing, you know, a university comes out and says, we're going to have to raise tuition. Well, good, I guess. But no one is going to go to school. That is just not the model that's going to work. You have to have a uh, the, these measures of austerity just like everybody else. There is no way in hell UW-Madison. UW-Madison is going to come out and raise tuition and not basically implode the entire university system. Absolutely won't happen. Um, so, yeah, uh, my physics lab is a mess online. So, 
yeah, my God, I can't, I really, I, Cameron, I feel bad for you and for, for anybody that has to, to do some of these things that have to be lab based where they've been transitioned rapidly into online because yeah, I, I don't know how you do that. Um, I, th I think it'll make more sense like in fall. And I guess I think there'll be some social distancing things where the labs will be set up and they'll be spaced more things will become coherent, but it's really a tough semester to move over. Very disorganized. Yeah. And what I've been hearing from school administrators um, is saying, yeah, yeah, like teachers are freaking out. That's the word they're using, freaking out. They have no, they they don't know, you know, what if a parent says the best time I can learn with my kids is six at night. So can you do a Zoom with us at six? I'm like, I don't know. I mean, the teaching day was always, you know, 745 to 315. So does that change now? If you're a teacher this fall, do you have so many hours a week and basically you kind of get those filled up into different spots? So maybe you're teaching, you know, from eight to 11 and, you know, again, from two to four and maybe some nights six to eight. And is that really a bad thing if you do that? I mean, I work with clients all over the, the world. I have to work with different time zones. I'm flexible. I make things work. So Maybe this model makes it needs to be d distorted and shaken up and and turned around. I mean, maybe we we need to offer instruction, you know, some options at night. I don't think that's a bad thing. Now, teachers will look and say, "I already give all of this time," and I get that. But maybe then you're going to have a couple mornings where you're not going to be teaching or whatever. But this whole thing of thinking like teaching starting this fall is going to stay eight to three anywhere that's out the door. That's not happening anywhere. There is no way in hell that model stays. There's no way that model stays. And schools will also change that model to make sure that they keep enrollment because every kid in the door is $12,000, $12,000 a year for that school. If that kid is homeschooled, um, that is $12,000. Or if they go to the neighboring school that offers those flexible times, that's $12,000 traveling through open enrollment with that kid to the neighboring school. So again, I don't, some of these things are going to be taking this whole model of education and I think improving it and bringing it up to where we're at as a society with virtual ed and the fact that, you know, the working parents and different shifts and things like that. I, I see that as being a positive. Um, so let me just wrap up here. Uh, my daughter's grades have gone up a letter grade since she's at homeschooling. Yeah. Bull rush. Guess what? I had to learn. <laughs> I had to relearn how to do fractions. Um, with my, with my youngest daughter, because I'm like, okay, we got, I know we got to get the common denominator here. Like da, 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 da. Some, I'm trying to figure it out a little bit. I did like, I got back and then I was teaching her and then I, we brought out the calculator and did it so we could match, you know, that, that both were, were accurate, but, uh, but yeah, it was pretty cool. Hey, it's our good friend, Nick Shoelanner in the house, Nick. All right. And I appreciate, uh, Nick being in, in the house here. Um, I'm going to work with Nick to get his show here in the next couple days. Um, and we're going to, to focus on Nick's experience of being at a uh, university in Washington that got shut down, right? Be, attending there as a student and basically how that process went of being shut down. And Nick has, has a, some insight. There's one thing I'm like, Nick, if you had to do something different, what would you do? And he had one piece of advice right off the top, which none of us kind of think about, but it makes a lot of sense. So we're going to talk about that, get that inside perspective, because again, if you're going back to school and fall at a university, if you're going back there, 
um, you got to really be be ready. I mean, it's got to be like a bug out thing like MASH. I mean, they could shut that down at any time. And especially, you know, if, if they do open up some campus housing, which I don't think they do, but I just think uh, you got to be ready. You got to be prepared if you're heading back to a university this fall that it is going to be shut down at some point because the moment we start getting a second wave of coronavirus coming through and it, it starts to get on the radar a little bit, no one's going to hesitate. They're going to shut all of that stuff down and push it back online. So Nick's got some really cool, uh, really pertinent advice. Anyway, Nick Schulander, you know, he's studying engineering, studying marketing, a really sharp guy. He's an entrepreneur. It's good. Had him on the show before. That'll be a really good one. Um, so yeah, uh, Bull Rush said, my dad taught me to do fractions with a tape measure in about 45 minutes. Best math class I ever did. Yeah, I actually have one of those uh, tape tape measures um, kind of set up like that. Um, my godfather had it and it's, it's, it's really cool. Yeah, it makes sense, right? Because if you do it, then you can actually look and it's tangible. It's not this abstract thing of that you're trying to put together. So a few things before we go, if you guys can do me a favor, go over and hit thumbs up like i see three but i know they're let's let's try to let's help me out for god's sakes give me a thumbs up here's my book not telling you you have to go and purchase it but school of errors rethinking school safety it's on amazon it's hard copy if you get it this way otherwise it's like you know 15 bucks or whatever it's in e-format but the thing with the book is it's about chaos theory first chapter how thinking about a bagel can get you through the worst day of your life transitioning into chaos you there are people who've contacted me and somebody just put a thumbs up and then they took it down. That's cruel. That's cruel. But um, people have contacted me and they've said, you know, listen, um, you know, that the book has really helped me, Dave. Like I've really, I've really got through this. Like it, it's, it's helped me. Somebody did that today. I've been able to talk about chaos. Like chaos is out here. This is chaos. This is kind of a Chernobyl event. What you've been talking about. Self-similarity is what we're used to, but we are in chaos. But systems develop, we kind of get used to it. I'm like, yeah, use the language. I did a great job in the book. The book is really spot on with what's happening right now, more than anything I've probably ever read. I'm just saying, like, it's really good. So, yeah, subscribe to this channel. Um, I've gained a lot of subscribers here in the last few weeks. Um, I've been producing more content. So this is actually the seventh show I've done in March. So, yeah, thanks for that. Um, I mean, thank you for being in the chat. I really appreciate that, um, you know, keeps me going with, with doing the shows. I do a full blog post. It'll be up there. So things I've talked about today, it comes out you know, in about a 500 word blog post the next day. So you can go back and, you know, link that, or if you have conversations with people and, you know, but, but yeah, I mean, whoa, like um, the, the things coming down for education are unbelievable. You're going to see this all over the news. And especially if you're a parent, I think just be very aware of what your local district is doing and what they're prioritizing. Um, and I, I guess also as, as a taxpayer, I want to make sure that my my district isn't isn't buying um, you know these one hundred thousand dollar germ zapping robots and all of this that, that's being marketed out there. Um, it's one thing to buy those at a time when um, it, everything's kind of going well, budgets are increasing, people are are you know employed and all of that. It's a it, there's that's still I think an irresponsible uninformed purchase. It's I think a completely negligent dangerous purchase when you're having massive cuts and those dollars need to go somewhere else. So Cameron wrote, uh, these shows are great information. Hey, thank you, Cameron. I really appreciate that. Um, I studied high stakes decision-making at UW-Madison. Um, so I studied high stakes decision-making in the military and healthcare and medical. Um, I really uh, am passionate about the work that I do uh, because I am recently retired. You know, I, I can do this. I can share information without having to go back to a school board or, 
or, you know, somebody and in, in saying, ah, oh, you need to kind of govern, you know, your statements and, and measure what you say. I mean, what I'm telling you is authentic and well-researched, um, giving you information that I think helps you both in perspective and really gets you ahead of the curve of what's happening out there. So this is a safety doc signing off from down here in the North Star Weather Studio. It is now up to 57 degrees down here. So, yeah, we're going to have the short sleeve sport coat pretty soon. Um, if the temperatures keep going up, but everybody stay safe, check in face validity with your member checks, your friends around the country, ask them, what are you seeing? What is happening outside in your community? That's where you want to get your information, you know, not just from the media, get information from your member checks, ask them what's going on, check in with your family and friends. They appreciate the phone calls. They appreciate the, the handwritten letters. If you got time, like my, been doing with my family, my, my, my parents, my wife's mom, we've been doing little five minute family videos every three, four days, bringing the, the camcorder out. And, you know, whether uh, we're biking, badminton, um, you know, playing a game of Monopoly, whatever it is, we record it, you know, say hi to people. And it means a lot, right? We want to stay connected to our, our friends and family. So, hey, everybody, thank you. Oh, what branch were you in, Doc? These are great. What branch of what? What bull rush? What branch was I in? You asked. Um, all right, bull rush, bull rush. Da da da. What branch was I in? So I wasn't. Oh no, I wasn't. I wasn't in the military. I was not in. I was not in the military. I was a firefighter years ago. I wasn't um, in the military. So, um, yeah. Oh, thinks. Yeah, thinks I'm ex-military. No, no, um, I'm not. Um, I'm not ex-military. So, um, but I did have a pretty wicked tree fort when I was growing up. It was. It was really up high camouflage really well but uh nope no military experience for the doc so all right hey bull rush atham cameron nick shulaner um anyone else here in, in the chat I'm, I'm not gonna scroll through but thanks so much again for um for uh you know getting into these live streams for sharing the content the channel's growing i think this is really uh, relevant it's important information to get out. Nothing's buying a paywall. I'm not trying to sell you anything. This is authentic as it gets down here for the doc. So um, take care, everybody. Stay safe. And I'll aim to get another live stream out here in a few days. Best. This has been the Safety Doc Podcast with author, radio show host, and leading safety expert, Dr. David Perodin. Remember to check back each week for the latest best and most bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. You can find Dr. Perodin on Twitter at SafetyPhD. And remember, the truth will keep you safe.